Yeah, I think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think a lot of people haven't really updated um, because they don't know sex workers or the sex workers that they do run into aren't people online. They're just like titties and booty that they don't really trigger much empathy. And so I, I think we're going to see a lot more acceptance of sex work as people become more familiar with sex workers. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candice. I'm your host, Candice Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandice.com. From there, you can either click the link that will take you to our Patreon account where you get early access to episodes, or you can click that little link that says buy me coffee. Both things help me out a ton. Um, I'm trying to schedule some in-person interviews very, very soon, so every dollar does count. Um, I am thrilled for today's guest. She has been someone I've been following on Twitter for a very long time. She's a very complex woman. She shares a lot of very interesting like data collecting polls on her Twitter. And she's just like this very wonderful mix of like brilliant and sexy. So please help me welcome Ayla. You're in you're in Oregon. Washington. Okay. Outside it of looks Seattle. beautiful. Yeah, thank you. It really is. We're covered in trees. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. Oh, that's like one of my dreams is like one day to be able to just get like a little cottage in the woods away from like <laughs> all of the craziness of society and just like disappear. Where do you live now? Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. It's it's like kind of a smaller town, like 100,000 people, but it's still like busier than I would pick like I really want like a lot of land and horses and just like solitude but one day it's like you have to decide right like what what do you value more is it like the convenience of being in town especially like I just have a one-year-old now um so like the socialization aspect of that or like being out in the wilderness and letting him be like Huckleberry Finn so it's like I try to to weigh it out yeah, it's a really tough decision. I, I also am like struggling with that because I'm planning on moving at the end of this year. So, oh, really? Where are you looking at? Austin. I'm a little embarrassed. Oh, <laughs> it feels like so cliche. Really? Yes, my husband and I were looking, and like we were trying to find some houses out there that also had land. And surprisingly, it's a lot more affordable than where we are now. I'm like, we can wow. get like 15 acres for like what we paid for one year. It's nuts. And then you just see like a lot of action happening. So I feel like it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, and my mom's in Houston. So there's like some like some family out that way. Cool. Well, maybe I'll run into you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be awesome. So do you think um, like you were homeschooled, right? Like your entire um, like childhood educational years, like how... How would you weigh that? Because like, I think there's like a myth, right? That like homeschooled kids are like weird and they're kind of like socially inept. And if you look at your Twitter account, like it's the furthest thing from the truth. Like you're, you're brilliant. Like you're a very, very in, like intellectual person. And if you, someone were to be like, oh, she was actually homeschooled her whole life. People would be like, nonsense, right? <laughs> like you don't fit that mold. So um, I guess like where I'm going with that is like, how much do you think, um, like your homeschooling, like, do you think that prevented you in like social situations in any way? Or like, how did you become who you are? Yeah, I mean, so I actually think that there is an element of truth saying that homeschool, homeschool kids are weird and socially inept. Um, but I think it's like a little bit different than what most people mean it. 
like, yes, they are weird and socially inept compared to non-homeschool kids, but like homeschoolers as a group tend to know how to interact with each other very well. It's just sort of an isolated community. Mm. And so they're very skilled, totally normal at, at, at talking with each other. It's kind of similar. Like if you had somebody come from another culture and like come hang out with you, you might be like, they're kind of weird and socially inept. And it's like, well, that's true in comparison to like what you're expecting, but like they are good for, you know, compared mm. to what they came from. Um, so you, it's like hard to compare it directly. Uh, so yeah, I think I've, I've learned, to, I'm a pretty mm-hmm. great, I'm a pretty classy homeschooler, if you will, among homeschooler culture. Uh, but I'm weird as balls yeah. uh, <laughs> out in the real world. Um, and, and so it's really hard <laughs> to adjust. Like when I, when I um, entered the secular world, it was really alienating for quite a long time because it's difficult to uh, explain exactly how much uh, this permeates. So I find, at least with a lot of the girls that I talk to, um, the ones that have gotten into adults, so I actually started with webcamming as well. And a lot of people were shocked because I was so, like the shyest person always. Like I moved around a ton. Um, I also had like a bit of an abusive like upbringing. So I just like tried to kind of like avoid people in general. Like I was always the new kid and as a new kid, you get bullied. Um, so that just made me like a really quiet person. So when I started webcamming, obviously like a lot of people are like, how, if you are so shy and quiet, can you be comfortable like taking off your clothes to like a room full of people? So was that progression, like, did it feel natural for you or was it really difficult? Because when I did it, I was like, I'm home. This is wonderful. (laughs) I'm really happy to hear that. I, I kind of relate in the sense that I also was pretty quiet and shy and had like a weird upbringing. Um, and yeah, people were surprised that I turned out to be such a performer, but it feels like a compartmentalized thing, right? Like, like sort of out mm-hmm. in the world, it's a little bit outside of your control. And like people have the ability to hurt you in various ways, like, you know, through just rejecting your friendship even. But online, it's like suddenly it's a world that you're creating from scratch. And it's like this excitement of having this creative way to blossom socially and uh, and there's like a kind of clear cut rules also, like you take off your clothes and then they compliment you and you earn money. And so a lot of things about it feel a lot easier than real life socializing, actually. It took me a much longer time to sort of adjust to being naked because I had been raised so incredibly conservatively, um, but it didn't take that long. And pretty soon I, I felt super comfortable in front of the camera. And how would you say that that affected maybe like your well-being once you started to get comfortable with like your being naked and being sexual? Because I recently did a clubhouse event um, with like with a doctor and a couple like neuroscientists popped up and they were saying that there's kind of um, like an like an epidemic happening with like conservative men specifically. And it's because of like the shame that goes around sex that they end up um, with much higher risks of like depression um, and a lot of like anger issues. And I know for me, like I was a very angry person too growing up, but like once I like really started to like fine tune my relationship with my sexuality is when I like started to kind of become like my most authentic self. Hmm. Yeah, that seems pretty true. I think for me it took, it was a, like the actually coming to terms with my sexuality is a much longer and still ongoing process. I think I still have mm. pieces of me sort of baked in that, that 
like do- doesn't really know what the fuck I'm doing and is like freaking out about it. <laughs> I think those are pretty small and I think they're like quite uh like far away in that they don't really impact my my daily experience. Um but yeah, there's a lot of anger in it, I think that helped. And and I don't think I did it out of rebellion, but I think that like the anger that I felt helped make me not feel ashamed about it. To be sort of like, well, I've been, you know, suppressed mm-hmm. so much that like this is sort of an expression of of ownership and like this is my body and I get to decide now what I do with my life. And there was like a little bit of rage in that. And I think that was really healing. Like it was sort of a therapeutic mm-hmm. process to be able to work through that. I'm, I'm really curious about this. You said conservative men are more likely to experience shame. Is this opposed mm-hmm. to conservative women? I think it's just more prevalent probably because or maybe like women aren't like outwardly discussing their sexuality when like these when these um, polls are being taken. Mm. So like that might attribute to some of like the the skew. But specifically, they were saying that it's much higher in conservative men. And I think obviously mm. like religion ties into that. They, um, the same data was also saying that they watch the most porn, like even compared to like, you know, like liberal men. So guys on the like the far right are consuming a ton of it. But then there's a lot of shame and guilt that goes with it. Um, and that they tend to suffer from like higher rates of depression, which I thought was so interesting. And the timing of it was great because I just did this clubhouse two days ago. And then I tweeted something today that I didn't even think was like controversial. Like it was just kind of stating that like you can be sexual and also have a mind. And to me, like you are like a great example of that. Like your Twitter account, like, I mean, it's just, it's nothing shy of brilliant. Like, I love it all the time. You have great polls. You have just like very insightful, like, um, like threads that you go on to and the way that you talk about like these really complex topics like monogamy, I just find so fascinating. Like you're very able to articulate those things. So it was just like a, Hey guys, I'm reminding you that two, two things can be true at once, right? I can be sexual and I can also like have a podcast. I can also have opinions. I can also have a mind. Mm -hmm. And then I tweet that and then I had this conservative guy that was running for Congress um, in Georgia retweet it with a quote saying like, why is it the most like degenerate people of society are trying to force us to accept them? And I was like, holy <laughs> cow, this just went <laughs> First of all, who invited you here? How did you find my account? Right? Like he doesn't follow me. I don't know who he is. Um, and I was like, I'm not trying to convince anything of anyone. If you want to be monogamous, if you want to be super Christian, like by all means, go for it. But I'm just simply saying like, we're all human beings and we should treat each other with some empathy, right? Like show me your character and then I can judge you. Not simply because you're uh, fulfilling a biological need, right? Sex is a biological need for everybody that you're a bad person. So yeah, I I went on like, I had to like calm myself down before this because like I haven't had like someone come at me like that in a while and it's like wow it really gets you sometimes yeah it's so strange and a little bit foreign the uh you're degrading yourself frame like I remember that from way back when but it's been Mm. so long and it's crazy because it feels so real for them like I used to think like that and it's like such a Mm -hmm. specific and strong structure with the way that they interpret reality and it's so clear to them that we are uh, terrible degenerate people who are ruining civilization. It's like not even a question. And it, it must really suck to mm-hmm. live in a world where the way that you view other people is like that. Like it must be just so alienating for, for both yourself and others. Like you're also alienating that part of yourself. Like in, in calling you a degenerate, he's also calling mm-hmm. all of the parts of himself that 
are like you also degenerate. So it's it's really unpleasant for him, I assume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a question I wanted to ask. So do you think that you can degrade yourself? What does degrading mean? I guess specific, like, that's a good question too, right? Like, are, do we all have like a common consensus on what that means? Because I think, I think that varies, right? Like someone can think something's degrading that I think is a great time, right? But I think if you're consenting to an act, I think just by that process of con- of consenting you can't be degraded yeah that seems true i i can't really th- right? think of a time i've ever felt degraded i like the concept doesn't feel like a strong one for me yeah i can't really recall a memory either and i certainly haven't when it comes to any like sexual acts like all mm-hmm. of those i've participated in willing fully and like you know usually with some enthusiasm behind it. So um, I had this conversation with somebody and it was someone who was like very anti like porn and anti sex work. And they were saying like, I was like, well, what, what's the issue behind it? Like what is like your reasoning behind like having such a strong stance? And she was like, and it was a woman um, it's degrading. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what's degrading about it? And she's like, well, I just, I don't think it's right to be seen as a piece of meat. And I was like, okay, Um, and this woman's like a little bit older. I was like, well, when you were younger, did you like wear makeup? Did you wear heels? Did you wear like tailored suits? Um, what was that for? If you don't want to be seen as like a a piece of meat or if you don't want to be sexualized, right? So you're doing these things on the exterior that are essentially like a mating call, right? Like you're, you don't put makeup on for women. You don't put makeup on for for yourself, right? Like if you lived by yourself in the the jungle, you're not going to put eyeliner on. It's just not going to happen. So I was like, so is that degrading? And then she was like, hmm. And didn't have anything to say. I was like, you're just now saying that you're making yourself like this piece of meat, right? So um, yeah, I guess that's where my hangup is with it. Yeah. And like the piece of meat thing is also really interesting. Like I'm not totally clear on exactly what people are doing when when they say the word like piece of meat. Is it something like you're not empathizing with the person that you're looking at? Or like your relationship to the person is primarily uh, like what you they can do for you as opposed to, uh, I don't know, some sort of like friendship or something. In which case, that seems like the way that most of us operate in large cities, even where you have to do that. Like people cannot be humanized when you're dealing with them at large scale in like a big system where we have defined roles. So like the concept of like piece of meat feels like a really confusing and vague thing that's like sort of meant to evoke this reaction that I I don't really understand. Yeah, for me, when I hear that, I feel like the point that a lot of people are trying to get across is that like, like men are predators and you're this, you're just to be consumed and that's like your only value. Mm -hmm. So I think when they see people that are in sex work, they associate it with like consumption and like a means to an end and that's it. Um, and I think it's across like the board, right? Like you, your story of working in like a basement factory where you said you saw the sunlight only two days a week to me, like that's more degrading than, you know, making a video of yourself in your living room and deciding like what you want to do, what makes you happy, having like the most sense of freedom that you really can, in my opinion, when it comes to work, like you can work anywhere at any time and kind of like create your own income. Um, so yeah, the other one to me is like, 
way more sad and way more of a prison and way more should be more unacceptable by societal norms than like what we do. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, it, it probably comes out of people, they imagine doing sex work and then they feel really horrified by it, um, mm. which I, I mean, I sympathize with, I've experienced that. And then they think, okay, anybody who does sex work must be suppressing that same level of horror. Like they're doing the typical mind fallacy. And so like in their mind, this is like a, a like quite a clear thing and that they are actually trying to save us from the horror that they project upon us that, that we must feel. But it, it is kind of projection. And that's the main thing that bothers me when people are telling me that sex work is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm like, first of all, get your projections off of me. I am not you. I do not have the same motivations or reactions. I can tolerate very different things than you can. Like, let me be different. Like, let have the space in your mind mm-hmm. to have people very different from you pursue wants that maybe you personally can't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. Is for if, for like the woman that I was talking about too is the the fact that she couldn't picture herself doing the things that I do, and then that was like the hang up. She's like, "Well, I could never." And I was like, "That's fine." There's a lot of things that I could never, right? And I don't tell someone else that they can't do it, or I don't like go and attack them on Twitter like this like random guy. Um, one of the things I also wanted to to I guess get your um, opinion on. So you took this like bit of a hiatus from adult, and then went back after you did like the ICO. So why was there the stipulation that you had to stop webcamming to join the company? The thing that we were creating was a dating app um, that was already kind of breaching oh. the barrier of like monetization because we were looking to make a dating app where it, you would be basically financially rewarded for participating, like microtransactions basically. And so to and mm. we were very careful to distinguish that this is not sex work. This is like just basically a use more useful dating app. Um, so it was bad look for them to have an actual sex worker on the team. Uh, so they're, they're like, you can join, but you just can't be actively like doing the sex work, especially because we did our ICO in um, South Korea, who are absolutely not okay with any form of that stuff. Oh, okay. Well, then that makes sense. So when you decided to get back in um, to OnlyFans, you were mentioning that like now there's kind of like... um like a dissonance a little bit between like your identity. Can you explain that a bit? Uh, Yeah. So I was actually escorting for about a year and a half before I started OnlyFans, the pandemic hit. And then I was like, well, I should probably figure out a different way of doing this. Um, And then I started OnlyFans and that was really uh, uncomfortable for me because for a few years I had been developing this persona as a safer work person. Like most of the people who followed me on Twitter had no idea that I had done sex work. I wasn't actively trying to hide it. I just didn't mention it really. Um, and so the thought of starting up sex work again and Mm -hmm. being open, I became like really afraid of the social pushback. Like I was developing like powerful friends who were my peers and I really respected. And I was afraid that they would no longer want to be publicly affiliated with me because I was doing this sort of stuff. And it felt kind of embarrassing. Like I've been focusing so much on being like a quote unquote intellectual. And then, and now I'm going to be just like a titty girl. It felt really vulnerable in sort of this new way. Like when I had first started (laughs) camming, I, I didn't have anything to risk. There was nothing to lose. I was already at rock bottom. And so it was like, fuck it. But here, like suddenly there was a lot to protect. There's this reputation that I had to carefully navigate. 
So that became really weird. And so for the first few months after starting OnlyFans and talking about it, it was this pretty uncomfortable transition period as like I modified like my public identity in that way. Uh, but then now I got, now I'm used to it. Now it's great. Like now I get to talk openly about mm-hmm. it to people like you and, and I'm totally worth it. So did you see like any kind of fallout when you went back in by like these people that you kind of um, like respected or perhaps like maybe put on a pedestal like these, you know, academics or doctors or whoever they were? Did you see any of them be like, ooh, never mind, like I have to distance myself or did they not really care? Uh, no, I think a big part of it was keeping a separate a Twitter presence and it's like a separate like I have a non-sexual blog and a non-sexual Twitter um, and I interact non-sexually on the internet a whole lot. And so I think like keeping that separate made it a lot easier because that way people could sort of pick and choose the kind of Ayla that they wanted to interact with and what they wanted to reflect on them. <laughs> and a lot of the people who I was friends with anyway, like were already kind of weird and on the edges um, as, as, <laughs> as you, maybe is the same with you. I don't know. But there are people willing to tolerate super like bizarre ideas and out there thinking and are already okay with sex workers. So it actually didn't impact me that much. Uh, I think it actually ended up helping me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've kind of found the same. So when I got out of mainstream porn and I just started shooting um, like for myself and like OnlyFans, that kind of a thing, I was trying to like figure out what I was going to do next because I like didn't want to just be like Eva, like that's great. And that's where like, you know, virtually all of my income comes from, but I like wanted to like pursue other things. Mm -hmm. And I was like um, working with someone that had like a pretty significant Twitch channel and they were trying to like pitch me to like so-and-so. So I had to like clean up my entire Twitter page to try to look more of like just a regular person and not so spammy because it's really easy when you're like in the thick of it to be like, look at my new scene, swipe up, watch this stuff. So it was like way too like adult promotional and like less like me like there wasn't substance behind it so I cleaned up my entire Twitter account um the Twitch thing never worked out but I ended up like just starting like sharing more of like my thoughts and like Mm. who I was I put my real name out there because I'm like trying to create like that divide like there's Eva and there's Candace and Candace is the real person and Eva kind of only exists in this one place right and that's what I wanted to like really get across because I think a lot of the times when people treat us like shit, it's because they don't see us as real human beings. And I don't know why that is. I don't know like if part of it is because we're using fake names. I don't know if part of it is because so many people aren't sharing like anything of depth or like anything intimate or real. Um, but I just, I'm trying to like, do my part in like breaking that down. Um, so then I started getting the same type of like followers, like people that I like really admired and, mm-hmm. you know, had these opinions and I wanted them to, to like me. Right. And I'm like, I just had like a neuroscientist follow me. I cannot be posting pictures of my butt. <laughs> like <laughs> this won't do. So <laughs> I'm like, oh God, what if he sees it? <laughs> so these things would like go through my mind and I yeah. would just like, I would get serious anxiety. So I was like, okay, so how can I like, kind of um flirt with this line because I have like a Candace in, uh Twitter account but it's got like no followers and I don't put a lot of effort into it and I'm like I already have this one that's there so like I kind of want to just focus on that so I like try to do everything in like the most like tasteful way that's like not so promotional and so far like no one's really cared and some of the people that follow me I'm like why are you following me like you're a literal genius like from Harvard why are you following me but it's pretty cool um yeah, I found the same thing. Like I kind of had that struggle with like my identity as well. And like, 
not trying to like sacrifice authenticity, but it like kind of makes you like fine tune your skills a bit, right? Like, like sharpening a sword when you have like these, these obstacles to speak of in the way. Yeah. I, it's also really scary. Like, because of like attaching, you know, a really vulnerable sexual side of you to an actual personality is sort of uh, doubly vulnerable in some sort of big way. Like you can't compartmentalize to the same degree. And I think mm-hmm. that takes like a very specific kind of personality, which I guess both of us must have, um, which is <laughs> really cool. <laughs> yeah, the, I think the compartmentalization like, helped me a ton in the beginning, especially when like I got in, I mean, it wasn't like super young. I think it was like 21, but like, I didn't really have like a big why, like it just felt like where I was supposed to be. And like, I had a blast and I was just kind of like blindly following wherever like destiny took me. Right. And you would have people that would, you know, shame you or, um, like just kind of like treat you like an out, an outsider because of like your decisions. And I would get so angry and I would get so defensive. And Mm. the reason I was doing that was because I, I didn't know my whys. And then once I started like breaking those down and becoming like more confident in my decisions and more authentic was when it's very rare that I get, you know, worked up over someone criticizing my decisions. Today was a bad day. But, um, but yeah, I think I feel like the most me that I've felt in years when I started to like merge those two worlds yeah and it's really powerful also like I had a birthday recently and for my birthday I asked people to tell me ways I've impacted them and there were a couple big themes but one of the biggest really surprised me was that people regularly told me that I changed the way that they perceived sex work because I was attaching so much of my personality to it they're like I never really knew before that like sex workers were people in a way and that was really cool to hear. Like, I, I didn't even know to what degree that was so important or rare even. Like people's perception of sex workers is very mm. flat. Like sex workers are, are here for sex. And to be able to actually be genuine, I think really transforms uh, the way that people relate to us, uh, which is great. I think we need more humanization. I think a lot of the pushback against sex work comes from like not knowing anybody who is open and comfortable with their job. Like a lot of us has internalized that shame that society has given us and, and we do hide it. And so people sort of learn that we should hide it, right? Like they kind of like react to us with the signals that we're giving. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have like the the comfort and the uh, the security to really be open and totally vulnerable is uh, extremely helpful to, to the face of sex work. Yeah, I I hope that it like is a trend starts to happen where people start to merge the real them and the stage version of them. But I think that there's a lot of promise of anonymity or like protection that some people want to hold on to. But in my experience, like creating a, a fake name never helps. Um, I've still had like crazy situations and stalkers and that whole bit. So I think that helped make my decision of just owning. Candace, if that makes sense. Um, I did want to ask, so when you, in your blog, when you mentioned returning to sex work and returning to OnlyFans, you were also saying how 
you kind of uh, started to like see yourself a little bit like as an avatar, if you will. So when you started Mm -hmm. seeing yourself in like this sexual way, it was, you said not bad, but just, um, just like odd. Right. So when you made the decision to start escorting, was there also like the same disconnect? Because a lot of people probably think that's wild, right? Like we see these movies like uh, what's what's that movie on HBO? The Call Girl or Girlfriend Experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's most people's ex- um, knowledge when it comes to escorting, or they think the opposite, which is someone who's very like hooked on drugs and and poverty and doing it because like they have to, right? Like there's very few people that would look at you and think, you know, she probably escorts, right? Like you look very, like you look just homey, like sweet. Uh. Yeah, escorting is is what I meant to say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I look like a girl next door, uh, which is somewhat intentional. Um, Yeah. Excuse me. Um, Well, yeah, when I was escorting, it wasn't, it was felt, escorting felt like the best sex work to me, Uh, like the healthiest, easiest to do. Um, Really? Yeah. How is that? How? Believe it or not, I think it was because there wasn't an asymmetry and attention. Like it was always one on one. And with online work, it's like one to many. I do a thing and then like a thousand people see it. Or like if somebody sends me a message, I I have to respond to a hundred messages that day. And so there's some like necessary dehumanization that occurs both ways. Like people kind of have to dehumanize me because they know that I'm like this object of, of gaze like up here. And I sort of have to dehumanize them because like I functionally can't humanize every single person who, who watches me. Or like wants to talk to me. But with escorting, it felt like closest to actually an mm. organic human experience. And there was still a weird dynamic, but it felt like I actually got the time to get to know somebody and have a real connection with them. And often it was, you know, not meaningful, but sometimes it was really meaningful. Like I actually ended up making really good connections with people and feeling like maybe I was benefiting people's lives in a way that was much more obvious. And so it was so much more fulfilling. Mm. My, I that would be if I could make as much money escorting as I do on OnlyFans. That would be my ideal form of work. That's yeah. I think that's going to be like very surprising to a lot of people because it seems like it would be a very scary line of work to get into, right? Because I mean, I don't know like the vetting process or your vetting process, but it does seem that you could be in a potentially dangerous situation. So, would you say that's a lot of the reason why people are pushing to legalize it is to make it safer? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, decriminalization would be great. I'm like really wary of more restrictions getting put on what I decided would be best for me individually. Uh, I mm-hmm. was lucky. Um, all of my online sex work training, like helps me know how to market really well. So I was pretty good at marketing myself and I charged quite a lot of money, about $1,200 an hour. And so that helped automatically filter for people who are wealthy clients and wealthy clients tend to uh, treat you better. So I was very lucky. I only had like maybe two experiences that were scary. Um, But screening goes a long way. The the one worst experience I had was a guy who I think Mm -hmm. I forgot to screen. I screened everybody, uh, but like one guy fell through the cracks. I don't know what happened. And it just like, I didn't like Mm. do a thorough job. And then that, that was the guy that fucked me over. but most standard screening is uh, you get oh references gosh. from two other girls. So you you have 
uh, two other girls like contact you and be like, yes, this guy was was good. And that's that is pretty good. You check those girls and make sure that they are uh, verified, they're valid, they're real people who actually see see clients. And that helps. Mm hmm. So for these more meaningful experiences, can you like elaborate or do you feel like that'd be an invasion of like privacy? Because I think for a lot of people, they have that idea that it's just like getting used and a dollar exchange and there's nothing more behind it. Because I do think that for a lot of men, because obviously men are going to be the, the biggest consumer when it comes to that, I can totally see where that could be needed for some people. I know that's going to sound like crazy to some, but some people don't have another means for that human connection or for that intimacy. And I think that between consenting adults that they should be able to do whatever they'd like. So I'm hoping you can maybe share a little bit, but if not, I totally un understand. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to I leave them anonymous. Um, but like some, some of them were virgins who were just terrified and like wanted to have somebody experienced and accepting to guide them through it. And that felt great. Um, some people just felt really rejected by women and really sexually insecure and wanted basically help. Like, how do I just teach me how I can become like a more sexually confident man to be able to go on and be sure of myself when I interact with other real women? Um, one guy who I think mm -hmm. is like the most meaningful one for me was, uh, I, I entered the hotel room with him and I could just sort of feel like sadness emanating off of him. And I sort of like became sad with him. And like, I asked like, are you like, what's happening? And then uh, I, I, so we ended up just like holding each other and crying. Um, and he just like sobbed into me and we took off our clothes to have skin to skin content contact and just like pressed our bodies together. And he like, held me and just sobbed and and I was I was there for it like it, it felt really good and and it's so hard for men to be able mm -hmm. to have something like that um and so for with this guy I would see him you know once a month or something and sometimes we would have sex sometimes we wouldn't but it was just a lot of skin to skin contact contact <laughs> I can't say that word and him just like emotionally processing things with <laughs> me there to witness and hold him in that and to be sad with him. And that was incredible. And I don't think like a therapist can't do that. Like there's no other system that we have in place to be able to like have that kind of experience for a guy. And I was so happy to be able to provide that. And there of course were other guys, like some guys uh, had a wife who like hadn't had sex with them in 20 years. And they, one guy had cancer. He had found out that he was going to die. And he was like, I don't want to die without having sex again. And my wife won't oh, wow. touch me. It's like, so, and I don't want to ruin my life. I don't want to like leave her and explode everything we've built. I just want to have a sexual outlet. So he figured like if he found an escort, it would be like safe and contained and not fuck anything up. And he could just go have this thing before he went and died. <laughs> so he did. And I, and I got to be that for him. So there's, there was a lot oh. of shit that like a lot of guys who like obviously didn't seem to care for me, but there was also a lot of guys who I felt like I was actually performing a really important service for their life. And I loved that. And I don't get that quite as much with OnlyFans, which is my main complaint is that I don't have enough intimacy with the people that I talk to. Yeah, it's hard when you do everything virtually, even when you're doing something that's like a live stream, it's just not the same. Like you can't have that connection. Like you said, when you picked up the sadness, I don't think that that would happen 
virtually unless you are a very skilled person. Like you just don't have that electromagnetic information that's being exchanged. Um, I had a follow-up to that. Oh, so why do you think it is? Because I think like a devil's advocate or an opposing view would be like, well, why did that man not have um, someone else to cry with? Like why, like that should have been the role for his wife or that should have been the role for his girlfriend. And you are impeding on their intimacy by doing that. So for that argument, like what's your perspective? The guy who cried with me didn't have a wife or girlfriend. He was severely depressed and lived alone with a dog and just mm-hmm. didn't have that option. I think he didn't feel capable of maintaining a mm-hmm. a serious relationship with somebody because he was so depressed, really. Um, but also, like, mm-hmm. I don't see intimacy with somebody who's not your spouse is inherently bad. Um and if there is like intimacy that mm-hmm. the spouse would prefer to have, then it seems like there's something wrong with their relationship. Uh, sometimes sex work isn't would be unneeded if the world were more perfect. That seems true. And there, I think there's still times where it would be needed if it were perfect. Uh, so it's, it really depends on the exact situation we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to monogamy, I loved your your comparison in one of your blogs. You were saying. Um, that people enter like enter marriage essentially with the same like naivety of a college student signing up for an immense amount of debt. And if you don't accept the that monogamy is the only way to have a fulfilling, loving relationship, you're gonna end up alone. Like you can't have anything other than that. And I think that was um pretty spot on. And you also did a thread where you were explaining I think it was maybe polyamory and you were saying, well, a lot of the concern from women was, would be that he's going to leave you and he's going to fall more in love with this person. And you were saying, well, if I love this person and he maybe has a deeper, more meaningful connection with someone else and I try to prevent him from that, like that feels gross. And I was like, She's putting into words something I have never really been able to articulate quite as well because my husband and I have like a different, a different relationship. It's not fully open, but it's just our own little concoction. Like we've spent a lot of time curating exactly what works for us and our boundaries for each other. And I don't think enough people do that with their relationship. They just say, this is the relationship that I'm supposed to have. These are the rules that society says are the only rules and till death do us part. And then you see the statistics of 50% divorce rate. So clearly something's not happening. So do you think that monogamy is going to be the standard for the rest of like our lifetimes? Do you see that starting to shift with like the younger generations? Do you think it's even attainable for people that meet and get married at a young age? What's your opinion? Yeah, I think likely we're going to see it as a standard for most of our adult life. I'm, I think likely if I had to make a guess, it would be that we'll see something similar happen with polyamory as we did with the gay rights movement back in the day, because there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, and it's going to become like a solid accepted and minority, uh, status, if you will, like some people just be poly people and that's it. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right in that like monogamy is, uh, just a default. People don't really have this option. And like a lot of people 
do a lot of negotiation when they get into a relationship. They want to find somebody who's a dog person or a cat person or wants kids or something. And there's no question about like, what kind of relationship style do we really want? Because people don't even know how to ask themselves that question. People like don't like I was I'm a hundred percent total poly. Um, and I realized in hindsight that this is the way I was operating even before I knew what polyamory was. But I still like expected a monogamous relationship. And I didn't know that there was that was a question I could even address, even begin to start thinking of until I had somebody else like present that as a viable option for me. And I think it's pretty similar with homosexuality. Like a lot of people. Uh, I remember going to South Korea and they told me they didn't have gay people there. And I was like, what do you mean you don't have gay people? And I think it's probably because it's just not an <laughs> option. Like people don't talk about it. They suppress it. If you have those feelings, it's like kind of weird. And you, uh, you like you convince yourself that you must be attracted to like the correct kind of person. And I think the same thing is happening. Like we have this big social rewiring that causes us to reinterpret a whole bunch of signals as evidence of monogamy to the extent that we don't even doubt it. So yeah, I think that like uh, we should get to the point where it becomes something where people can openly question, kind of like homosexuality. And like, hey, you poly, that's cool. Um, are you like half poly? Do you want like kind of an open thing? Like figure out exactly like the kind of concoction that works for you. Um, but but as as we get to the point that I think this is a question that people are allowed to ask themselves more, I think we're going to see a lot more happy, happy relationships. Mm-hmm. So do you have any advice for people bringing this conversation up to their partner? Because I know for a lot of people I've spoken with, like it's very intimidating. They don't even know how to approach the subject. Um, I think once they figure out what they think they want, how do they say that to their partner without telling their partner, like you're not enough because it's not what it is. It's to me, it's just the most realistic way of saying till death do us part. It's me saying, I want to be 120 years old with you on a rocking chair, no matter what. And like my sex drive is higher than a lot of women and I'm attracted to very nice things. And I don't want to necessarily give that part of myself up. And then I know my husband's very similar and I don't want to put him in a situation where if he decides to partake with somebody else or share an experience with someone else that I blow up our family. Like that doesn't make sense to me either. So to me, it's almost like if it's not, if it can't, um, if it can't survive these things, these trials and tribulations, like an affair in some cases or whatever the case may be, then it probably wasn't love to begin with. And I know that's going to probably like ruffle some feathers, but to me, love is like, like it's unconditional. So spicy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's true. Like, like so many people consider uh, sleeping with somebody else to be sort of an indication that they don't want that relationship anymore, like the original one. Uh, it just seems so, mm-hmm. so strange to me. It's like a crazy thing to try and wrap my head around. Like, okay, wait, you experienced sexual attraction with someone else, you acted on it, and that somehow means that you don't want your other... Re- I don't get, I don't get that at all. Um, but you're right. The, uh, this, the conversation is super mm-hmm. hard to have with your partner. Um, I think that people who I did a study on or survey on monogamy versus polyamory satisfaction in relationships and people who are either extremely monogamous or extremely polyamorous, uh, had the highest satisfaction rates. And so my theory about this, uh, is that 
the people who are halfway in between had the lowest satisfaction. And this occurs when people are in a monogamous relationship and one of them wants to be like, hey, honey, uh, how about we try this thing? And then they kind of try it. And so they're not totally on board, both of them, um, or they're using it to try to save a dying relationship. So I think it's it, one of the hardest positions to be in mm. is where you want to be have an open relationship and your partner doesn't. I think it's extremely rare that that actually works out. Um, the thing that you have to do is like actually let your partner know that this urge does not reflect on them, which is so hard. It takes a lot of like maturity on their part to be able to mm-hmm. understand that. Um, and it can be like really slow going. So I, I'm sorry to be so pessimistic about it, but it's tough. It's really difficult. And for me, it's odd that in our society, if you have multiple children, it's expected that there's enough love for them. You don't love one of them more. Having a second child doesn't take away love from the first child. Why is there an abundance of love for our children and our family members and our our social circles like friends, but there's not an abundance of love romantically? Yeah, I have a friend who's a sex worker who had just had her second child. And she said something like before she had the kid, it's like she had trouble imagining how she could love another child as much as the first one. And then after she had the second one, she told me, she's like, I think I might understand polyamory now. Like, I I don't know how, but I somehow (laughs) love both of them so much. Like, I don't love the first child any less. And I was like, I felt so good to hear because it feels so true. Like every time I've been in a relationship with more than one person, uh, I'm not saying that there aren't dynamics that float over. Like sometimes something that like I really like with one person like won't be there with a second and like that might create some weird dynamics. But also, but generally speaking, it doesn't affect like the baseline reason why I'm with each of these people at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I find it so interesting. I think when I became a mom was when I started to, even though I only have one, one child, I started to understand polyamory more. So for me, that concept has always been very tricky because I always had that, that I guess ignorance maybe to how you have three people or more. I don't know if more is, is also typical or if like three is kind of the standard, but you have multiple people it seems like it could get very confusing very fast. So for people that maybe aren't up to speed with like a traditional, I say traditional polyamory relationship, are all three people in a relationship together? Or is it like you can be in a relationship with with one other person and your partner can also be in a relationship with another separate person and those two people don't necessarily have to to meet or be in the middle? I'm... Actually, not sure what the most common. Um, based on my networks, most of whom are poly, that seems to be the most common configuration. People still tend to like pair bonding really hard in polyamory. So often you'll see like life partners together, and then like both of them have girlfriends or boyfriends, and then like those boyfriends might have their own life partners or something. And so you get like sort of this chain of people. Um, I, I also wanted to make one distinction, which. Uh, is very important for a lot of conversations about polyamory um, is that there's a difference between engaging in polyamory versus like allowing your partner to do so. Like, for example, I um, am not really dating anybody right now, but I still consider myself polyamorous in a similar way uh, that you might uh, be gay, even if you are single. And so 
I think like the thing that really defines this is whether or not you allow your partner to have other relationships. It doesn't necessarily mean that you personally have to be in other relationships, only that this is always like an open thing. Like you could always have this discussion or have the expectation that your partner is allowed to have these sort of experiences, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be like two people who are in a relationship with only themselves and not anybody else are still people that I could consider polyamorous because they might be in a situation where they, they could like, like Adams, like connect, like latch on to the, to, to ones outside. Um, people often call polyamorous uh, groups polycules because they're all like these diagrams of <laughs> connections. Anyway, um, I just wanted to make that distinction because uh, a lot of people will be like, well, I don't want to be polyamorous because I only love one person. Like I meet the person I fall in love with and I'm just not interested in anybody else. So I'm like, sure, that's fucking great. Go for it. That's that's not the question though. Like the question is like, are you preventing your partner from getting his needs met in places where you can't? And that's that's the big one for me. I think that's the interesting thing too when it comes to traditional monogamous relationships is that we expect our partner to fulfill all of our needs and they're only one person. And then that dynamic gets more complicated as you become parents and as you become older and you have to start taking care of maybe sick grandparents and you get, just get stretched so thin, but yet you're supposed to be all these things to one person when you often aren't enough things for yourself. So it makes sense that either occasionally or for like the life of the relationship that you would need something to supplement. Not, and I know that sound, that's not like the best word because it kind of goes back into people's ego of saying like, I'm not enough, but you kind of aren't, you kind of can't be all things at one time to everybody. Right. And that doesn't mean that you're lesser or unworthy or that you're loved any less. It's just not feasible. Like we don't expect our friends to be everything to us. They can't be. That would be a toxic friendship, right? You would be like that, you know, Candace is being very needy. I can't believe she's texting me at midnight and she expects me to come pick her up at the doctor's office and also cook her dinner and also surprise her. Like we can't, we don't expect that anywhere else. So I find that always um, very fascinating as well because we take it so personally. Yeah. And this is one feature in which polyamorous relationships feel a lot healthier to me is that you don't have that pressure on yourself to be so much more. Um, like often in monogamous relationships, people feel sort of this obligation to to hit all of these things. Um, but in poly, you get to put boundaries way more clearly. You can be like, hey, I don't want to do this thing. If you want to do this thing, you go find somebody else to do it with. Also sexually, like people have run into so many problems when they're sexually incompatible mm -hmm. or when one partner has a higher sex drive than the other. And it's like, what do you do? Like you, it's it doesn't make sense to try and force two people into the same mold. And, and so it's been a huge load off of me, like during times where maybe I'm on like birth control and my, my sex drive is really low that like my partner like really wants a lot of sex. And, and then I get to be like, no, it's, it's so good. I could be like, you know what you're, you finding sex is your, your job. You can go find somebody else to have sex with. Cause I don't want to right now. Whereas if I were in a monogamous <laughs> relationship, there's, there would always be this little thing in my mind where like, well, I need to keep him happy because I, I'm not letting him get this from anybody else. So, so there's a lot more self-freedom. There's a lot more ability to mm -hmm. fully explore what you actually want in a relationship and be a little bit more selfish about it really in ways that like end up helping everybody. Mm -hmm. So where, for women that are listening to this, 
where do you start to find that confidence? Because I think because we tend to couple sex with love. And I think a lot of that's with how we were raised. And I kind of have always said that that's part of the the issue with these toxic relationships is that women are having sex and then they permanently attach themselves to this man. And they're like, well, I did this very important sacred thing with him. So now I can't leave. Right. So when you take the power away from sex and you're like, no, sex can just be sex. Then I think you leave yourself open for healthier relationships because you're not filtering everything through that lens that if we were intimate, it it now has to be something more than just that. So you can actually see the relationship for what it actually is rather than being like guilted or shamed into staying. Um, So when it comes to finding that confidence, I know when I started to be more honest with what I wanted in a relationship and start to explore that open relationship with my now husband, but we were just engaged at the time, it was really scary because you're like, well, what happens if he likes her more? So it took a lot of like inner work for me and a lot of meditation, a lot of journaling, a lot of just quiet time and really like digging deep, deep, deep into like why, where my fears were coming from. So can you share maybe like your process with finding that with yourself or maybe some advice for a woman that's teetering on that, that idea, but hasn't quite had the bravery to, to be honest with herself yet? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel very similarly to you. I mean, it is a process. Um, and I also want to preface by saying that it's not necessarily good. Like there's a lot of things in life that, uh, if we had perfect space and maturity and self-knowledge that we would be good at doing. Like, for example, I have phobias around some things, uh, like very loud noises or needles and that triggers me and it reduces my options in life. But the amount of effort it would take to become okay with being triggered like that isn't worth the amount of times that I get triggered. Like it's just, I'm not, I'm choosing to go my whole life getting triggered by needles. And that's just like, that's all I'm going to do about it. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to make that kind of decision. If you're like, Hey, working on this thing isn't worth it for me. I'm not going to do it. I think it's perfectly reasonable for people who decide that monogamy is too big a thing to work on for them. They don't want to like work on themselves to do the insecurity confidence thing in order to have a poly relationship because like it's just, it's a longer journey than they want and they want to focus on other things in their life. I think that is absolutely commendable. I think that people should be down with doing that and do that with no shame. Like our life is a series of trade-offs and you get to make yours. Um, so mm-hmm. that being said, uh, yeah, polyamory like requires a whole lot of self-knowledge and confidence because uh, jealousy is like insecurity, really. Like if somebody is doing something with somebody else, that doesn't directly affect you. Like, let's take the ideal scenario of like your husband is on his lunch break at work and he's not going to come home anyway. Uh, he's You don't normally talk to him when he's on his lunch break. And he has the opportunity of having sex with like somebody passing through with no risk of STDs or pregnancy. Um, would you not want your husband to do that? Uh, there's zero impact this would actually have on you. Like if he didn't tell you, you would have no idea. Uh, and if you don't want him to do that, then this is something about you. Like this is something about like your fears about what this indicates. And so in order to get over that, you have to really like, look at what you're afraid of. You have to be like, oh my God, I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid that he's going to leave me. I'm afraid that I'm going to die alone. And 
those are really big and scary things that take a long time for some people, especially if you have like specific types of childhood trauma that might make those kinds of fears more salient for you. Like in some ways I am kind of lucky. I'm sort of sort of naturally poly in that like the problems that I have in my life tend to not be triggered by polyamory. They tend to be sort of other kinds of things that are triggered. So it's relatively easier uh, for me to be poly. Um, but yeah, it takes a, a ton of work and coming to terms with a lot of like really painful possibilities in your future. Like there's a way in which polyamory feels like a constant letting go. Like with having a, a partner, it's just like every day is is like we are making a conscious choice to be together this day. Like I I might lose you at any point because our lives might change. And mm -hmm. I want that to be okay. And like sort of that makes things more vivid and it makes me feel like much greater appreciation and love for the person who happens to be with me right now. Mm -hmm. I would, I would definitely agree with that. It gives you a lot more gratitude for the relationship. And I think it makes it a lot more difficult to take for granted when, I don't know, I don't want to say there's not like a risk, but you're just like more aware of, of the comp, like the intrinsic nature of life, right? Like everyone's always meeting someone different. And I think there's less of a forced obligation in that sense, right? Like, like you said, every day is kind of a commitment to that person. Like it's not expected that I can treat you like shit and neglect you and let the romantic side of our relationship die and still expect you to be there, right? It kind of forces you to, to be present and put in the effort. So I definitely think there's advantages and I think there's advantages to monogamy as well. I just think that we don't, um, we're not consciously making those decisions. So I'd say like the big takeaway from this segment would be to just like consciously craft your relationship and not just yeah. fall into it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I wanted, I wanted to circle back with, um, with like the, all the men that you have like seen, whether it's on OnlyFans or camming or in person, where you start to see the difficulty of them being able to connect with their with their partner. Like a lot of the times, even with webcamming, they might be like, my my significant other considers this cheating. And it's an outlet that I really need for X, Y, or Z. Why do you think those conversations aren't being able to be had in a healthy space. You mean with their partners? I mean, usually the partners are pretty unexpected. Right. Mm -hmm. Usually their partners view it as some sort of mm -hmm. uh, betrayal or it like comes out of an incompatibility they have. Like maybe, like I mentioned earlier, like maybe their partner has a lower sex drive and they want more sex and they don't want to pressure the woman into having more sex because there's like very strong social messaging that that is not okay. Uh, and so they feel a little bit trapped. And this is one way to get out of it without having to pressure their partner. Um, yeah, I don't know. What would, I mean, you also have done camming. Like, do you have a sense on exactly like mm -hmm. why they're saying this to you and not to their partners? I think that there's a certain level of trust that's not there. Mm -hmm. So I think often we tend to just hyper-focus on the man and we blame him and there's something wrong with him and we don't look there's two people in a relationship so it takes two people to keep it healthy it takes two people to make it fall apart so the way that 
I look at trust and this is just through like experience and like going through my own personal struggles in my relationship is I used to have a pretty, pretty bad temper to the point where if like my partner had done something wrong, it was almost worse to be honest with me because I didn't allow him that space to be honest. So he didn't trust me. He Mm. didn't trust that I would be able to act in a civilized manner in a compassionate manner and um and like allow him that grace that grace to be human because we all make mistakes so when we worked through that and he kind of led me to to this realization it trust gets broken on both ends right so usually when someone cheats or there's some kind of deceit I don't consider watching porn cheating I think that is something people really need to figure out because there's not even a live person there, right? It's just content that they're consuming. So let's say that that's a deception on one part and that that partner is breaking the trust by watching the content. I would, I would also put my, you know, my pole in the the sand and say that the, the wife or the girlfriend is also um, like breaking down that barrier of trust by not allowing the space for him to come and say, I slipped up. We had an agreement that we I don't do this behavior and I'm sorry. I'm going to do my best to find a, a healthy way to exercise my needs within the parameter of our agreed upon relationship, right? So the trust isn't there on that other side as well. So I think we have to, it's not saying that you can be in an, an abusive relationship or you can be in a relationship with someone who's maybe got an, like um, antisocial behaviors where they're constantly betraying you and constantly cheating on you. Like that's very different. But I'm saying we have to allow the grace and we have to have the trust on both sides. You have to have that space available for them to come to you and know that you're going to be loving and compassionate and try to fix it together. I think that's a lot of the fear is they're like, if I come to her and I genuinely, maybe like, I don't want to do this slip up again. I really feel bad about it. And I want to work through this together, but I can't because she's going to explode. That's not good. That's not healthy. That's not love. Yeah, that's a really fantastic insight. Um, I haven't been in that specific position, so I haven't actually thought about it in those terms, but it makes a ton of sense when you say it that way. Um, and you're right, there, there, there is like a, it's hard to tell because we have a lot of messaging around preventing abusive relationships. Like it's okay to be upset, which is true. And I think this is an important thing, um, but all things in moderation and you can go too far and you're right, like like uh, a relationship can't survive if you have such strong and harsh punishments for fucking up. Uh, like there has to be some sort of like m- like moderation mm-hmm. process. Like to some extent, you can't can't have a healthy relationship unless both of you are okay with hurting the other person, and like both of you can hold that and and like be like grieve it and sort of respond and then move mm-hmm. forward. Like that that is a really necessary mm-hmm. part of a healthy relationship, and it seems. I would not, I would put money on lack of that being an impetus for a lot of men consuming porn. I also, during this conversation, have been imagining the angry congressman who tweeted at you, like listening to this podcast <laughs> and just imagining him like rolling over <laughs> in anger. He's just because exploding. So, yeah. So many of the things <laughs> we're saying are just like, I can, I can hear like the conservative voices in my head, uh, being pretty upset. Do do any conservative people listen to you? <laughs> I actually have a lot, like a lot of very, oh. like very conservative, like followers, um, like friends, and they take more of like a libertarian 
approach to yeah. it, which is as long as like they're two consenting adults, it's none of their business. It's just not for them. And I respect that all day. Um, I think everyone's allowed to create like their own compass of sorts as long as no one's doing any harm. But what's so fascinating to me is when you get those people that are still so stuck in like a time capsule of a hundred years ago and they genuinely get infuriated by the idea of anyone and especially a woman that's um, capitalizing on their sexuality. For some reason, when you introduce money, people get really uncomfortable um, or just having those sexual liberties, right? And saying, my, it's my body. And if I want to go have sex with 10 dudes today, that's my business. I'm not hurting anybody. But they just, the amount of anger is what really, like, I'm just really interested in the psychology behind that. Like, I don't know you. I don't owe you anything. I'm states away. So where's this anger coming from? And usually when you look at, like, the hierarchy of emotions, anger and fear are, like, very closely correlated. So then what is he scared of? Because I would break that down. I think the anger is superficial. So I don't know. Do you come across a lot of these like these angry blue check marks on the right that are coming at you for your crazy sexual ideas or lifestyle? Or have you kind of avoided those people? I mostly avoided. It might be easier for me because my Twitters are fully separate. I think I might run into more problems if I had more uh, like sexual content directly visible on my Twitter. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of these mm-hmm. people um, like are operating sort of under a different framework of reality in the sense of like the way that they structure meaning. So I, it's like almost a, it is kind of a religious thing where you view like big structures in the world that are uh, symbolic. So like when I was Christian, we believed that uh, God and a man were symbolic of like the man and his bride. So like God was like the man and then like the church was the woman and then they like marriaged. And so there's a symbolic repetition that occurred throughout life. And so like upholding certain aspects of the family was actually upholding this thing about God. And so this is, it's like, you're not viewing a thing for like the specific element you're thinking about it. You're viewing it as a symbolic instance of like this greater pattern. I think that's what these people are doing. Like the the people from a hundred years ago, they have this idea of what a good society looks like. And the good society looks like monogamous man and woman pairing and then children and, you know, the 1950s or whatever. Um, And everything that is like a deviance from this sort of thing is like, viewed through that lens. So like if you if we normalize you doing sex work and like accepting mm. money, then this contributes to the breakdown of the nuclear family, which will then contribute to the breakdown of a functioning society, which affects them personally. Right. So like you they you don't you're not just you. Like they've attached you into the <laughs> net that they are themselves a part of. And so they are like very directly threatened by you. And mm-hmm. me. Um and so, so I think that that's like the problem, right? Like the, the way that they think about reality is just like interconnected in a way that we don't view it as. That's a really good way to put it. So what do you think it is about the exchange of currency that makes it that much worse? Because, so I saw this meme that was going around and I showed it to my husband, he died. So it was like the stick figure that was um, holding a cake and he's like, I bake cakes. and. I bake the best cakes. And there was this other person that was like, I love cake. And then he goes, okay, I'll sell it to you 
for $20. And he's like, how dare you, you monster? And he's, they were like, this is a great representation of sex. It's like, <laughs> you like sex. I like sex. So I'm going to charge you for it because capitalism. And all of a sudden, you're the worst person in America. So why can, why is it, I feel like even in the mainstream, it's starting to become more acceptable to be sexual and um, promiscuous, even perhaps for women. But it's still absolutely not okay to exchange money for it. So why why is that relationship um, so different once you introduce money? I think it sort of removes the veneer of um, commitment. Uh, Like... Presumably, when you have casual sex, it's with somebody that you find attractive. And this is sort of a reflection on like mate choice. Like you're still being judicious in your mate choice in some way. And money just removes the idea that you're judicious whatsoever. It removes like it, it is kind of dehumanizing to men in a very similar way that that porn is dehumanizing to women. Like you no longer care about the man that you're having sex with whatsoever. This is clearly not for your pleasure. This is for specifically the money. And so it's it, it's it's like a like really raw and direct exchange um, that makes people feel really disconnected from the people they're with, which to some extent mm. I think is true. Um, and I think I'm fine with that. Like I'm totally fine with being dehumanized in that way and dehumanizing others as long as we're like consenting adults who are having a good time along the way. Uh, but I think a lot of people have, are really horrified by that. Uh, and it probably ties into something, something like we reproduce mm-hmm. with children. And so like the kind of person you choose to have sex with is like a really strong reflection on things like your self-worth and your strategy for the future and whether or not you've probably had children before. We don't know. Uh, but I, I don't feel like I have a lot of stronger insights into that specifically, unfortunately. Um, but I'd be curious if you do. No, I think that's really interesting too. I've heard people talk about the mate selection and then why it is that when a woman is promiscuous, it's kind of uh, frowned upon, which is because it's saying that she doesn't care about her line, essentially, which means that she must not be worthy of furthering a line or have an important line. So I guess like from a biological standpoint, that makes sense. But I feel like we're creatures that are constantly fighting our biology or constantly recognizing, oh, that was just my wiring and I can make a different choice, right? So it's not to say that there aren't biological reasons why we behave the way we do or think the way the way we do to some extent. I absolutely believe in evolutionary biology. But I do think that what makes us different from the other animals is the ability to recognize when that's happening and then make a different decision. Mm-hmm. So we have enough information that we can say, okay, well, there is some science to why we slut shame. And that made sense then, but now we have condoms and we have the ability to control when we do procreate, have children. So that doesn't really make sense anymore. So I'm going to sit with that and I'm going to try to you know, come to the conclusion that I think makes the most sense for the life that I want to live. And I think she's a wonderful person. So I'm not going to judge her because of my monkey brain that's telling me to. So I think even though there's like very hard evidence as to why we should justify certain things like that, I think that we also need to take the responsibility to put in the effort to not do those things when it is um, maybe not like the best decision or the most kind decision. Um, I think to judge somebody based off of like what they 
prefer sexually to me is just, it's not much different than judging someone for being gay, right? It's that biologically speaking, okay, maybe we looked down on that again because of furthering the line. Maybe that there's something there. But we have to say that doesn't make sense now. And that's not a good reason to treat these people with any less love and respect than a straight couple. So again, it's just, um, it's kind of trying to understand yourself on a deeper level and understand your wiring on a deeper level and just like taking more responsibility. Yeah, I think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think a lot of people haven't really updated um, because they don't know sex workers or the sex workers that they do run into aren't people online. They're just like titties and booty that they don't really trigger much empathy. And so I, I think we're going to see a lot more acceptance of sex work as people become more familiar with sex workers. Um, like I was mentioning, I, like one of the most common things people told me that I changed their mind about was uh, sex workers are cool, which is crazy because I try really hard to change people's minds on a whole lot of stuff. Like I have like crazy arguments that are like beautifully, like just incredible that sometimes I'm very proud of. And I tweet and I'm like, this is awesome. And then like people don't really respond. And it's crazy that like the one thing that did work <laughs> was people changing their minds on, on sex workers. And I didn't even try that hard. Like those aren't even my primary forms of like the things that I'm arguing about, but it's just simply the existence, like just simply running into it and seeing it, which I think is exactly what happened with the gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, people didn't really like gays, but nobody knew any of them. And there was sort of this like, um, momentum such that gays were Mm -hmm. afraid to speak up because nobody knew them. And so nobody liked them because they were afraid to speak up because nobody. And so I think we're seeing the same thing. We're starting to break that cycle. Um, Like sex workers like you and me and the other really incredible ones are, are finally starting to be like, Hey, this is fine. We're having a good time and we're people come talk to us. Like this is a real thing. And I think that is just, that's going to change things really fast. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things that you're honestly doing with with your brand online is that by sharing so much of you and your mind, it does start to kind of erase that stigma. So I think you're a wonderful example of being able to, sh- able to share like difficult opinions and have controversial polls, right? Like you're not like tweeting stuff that will never ruffle any feathers. Like there's some stuff that, you know, it will could be seen as polarizing. And I think that's amazing. I like I love like a good like intellectual debate or something that like makes you really question like a core belief. I find that's when you learn the most about yourself. You also crush it on OnlyFans. Like I was listening to one of your podcasts talking like about how financially successful you are. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. I'm like so glad that you're you're making serious money and you can also share so much of yourself. So where I'm going with this is I think that you're a great example for a lot of these other women that have been constantly told, you know, keep your mouth closed, don't share any opinions because that's going to hurt your bottom line. And I've always said the opposite. I'm like, that's what makes you you, mm-hmm. right? There's like a, there's millions of beautiful girls. If you want someone to to stay and have like longevity with you, if you want your brand to have longevity, there has to be something that sets you apart. And the only thing that sets you apart is like who you are. So to not share that, I think is a huge mistake. So what would you say to, I guess, all of these people that have the dated idea that you have to just be a pretty face and not 
you know, it kind of like sit there and be pretty like the very old school model of what a good girl is supposed to be. Because again, you're sharing these incredible opinions and you're also raking in the cash. Yeah, I think this also comes from a misconception about what men want. Uh, and not to downplay like men want, you know, a beautiful face and big tits and booty or whatever, which is true. But uh, I think people sort of focus on that so much, they lose sight of the fact that men want actual connection with someone. Like underneath all of that, and like sexuality functions as a proxy for this. Um, and so men are looking for like a person underneath that. Uh, hopefully a hot person, but still a person. Um, and so whenever um, <laughs> girls were asking me, like, how do I make money camming or something? I'd be like, wait, show yourself. Like, they're here to feel approval from you. They want your approval to mean something. Like, they want to feel like they've known someone else who has seen them and loved them for who they are. And this is so integral. I've, and this this really reflects sadly on the public perception of what men want. I think people sort of trivialize it or brush it away or find it like not meaningful, um, sort of unnecessary. Sort of they downplay the importance to the mental health of men for getting sexual acceptance, uh, which is sad. And uh, also makes it so you have a great competitive advantage if for among women, if you know that what they want is soul. So yeah, you are absolutely right. Uh, if you show yourself, you, you, make a lot more money it feels a little funny to tie it into just income like it's a good market strategy <laughs> to show yourself um but I think I would be showing myself more even if it weren't a good <laughs> strategy so yeah I think so too because it it becomes suffocating and yeah. I think that's where you start to lose your identity because you're not allowed to spend time there you have to spend time in your alter ego and she's very dumb and she's very quiet she's very agreeable like just these things that don't align with who you are and the more time you spend there I think the more that the real you kind of gets eaten away and I mean I'm friends with some of the most polarizing women on Twitter like just what they say is drawing a very hard line and they're certainly not going to get anyone else on the on the other side of the fence to sign up for their content. And they still do very well for themselves. It's not hurting their bottom line. And I think that the pros definitely outweigh the cons when it comes to showing who you are. So for anyone that's listening, if you have a platform, I think it's so important to be the most authentic version of yourself and not be scared of like a financial fallout because I've yet to see it happen. I don't know if you have any friends that maybe have seen that, but I've yet to see them be like, oh my gosh, my income disappeared overnight because I just tweeted something. It just doesn't happen. I actually came close to that once. Uh, a lot of my income comes from Reddit right now because um, I post in subreddits and then people see me and that, that that's what my funnel is. And uh, I tweeted a thing about catcalling, um, which people really hated. And then they screenshotted it and some people started sending it to a bunch of Reddit mods uh, say asking for me to be banned from all the subreddits that I post in. Like there's a concerted effort to get me banned. And a couple of the subreddits uh, did temporarily ban me or, or tell me to stop posting for a little while until it calmed down. And that was really scary. I was like, fuck, like uh, I'm going to have to diversify my funnel so that I'm not vulnerable to this happening again. Um, but luckily, I came out of it okay. It didn't actually end up impacting my income. 
but there are some near misses that are kind of freaky. But then again, like who knows how much income that I gained that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have otherwise from being polarizing and open. So, I mean, ultimately, I think it's some significant net positive. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know any other sex worker personally who's more controversial than I am. Uh, so I, I'm the highest risk, really. <laughs> So what what did you say specifically about catcalling? Because I've heard when I hear some men talk about it, it's very like I tend to very easily um, sympathize with with men for some reason before women. I think like that's just my comfort zone. Um, So I've heard them kind of, I guess, poke fun of and like make very light of it. I was like, of course, it's not a big deal. But then I take myself back into like my younger brain, like maybe, you know, 18, 19, whatever, and maybe walking home at night and getting catcalled and remembering like that anxiety as like this biological man is so much bigger than me. And if he really wanted to, he could do whatever he wanted. So by him, like kind of eliciting those, you know, hey, baby, whatever, it actually did something to me viscerally. So I, I kind of. I'm like in the middle, like on the fence about it, because I do see like some people like really cracking down on it and I can sympathize with both parties. So, yeah. What what was your article or your your tweet? Yeah, it was um, it was <laughs> I, I, I it was about um, race, actually. So I I've been catcalled almost primarily by black men. Um, I also personally like catcalling. I typically don't feel threatened by it. I view it as like sort of a cultural thing to demonstrate like hey, you're, you're beautiful. Like, I, I'm like, yeah, thank you. I feel beautiful today. Um, so I personally uh, don't experience <laughs> it as negative. And I also experience it predominantly from black men. Um, so I was asking is how much of the, uh, the stigma around catcalling comes from racism? That's my question. Because black men tend to do more catcalling. Um, that was big no-no. <laughs> People really, really hated that. Because I was implying that black men do cat, which I think is true. I also don't think it's bad. Like I, I, the times where I have actually felt threatened by men, it wasn't a black man, and which all of this I said in my Twitter thread. But, um, but people found it to be quite racist, uh, which was pretty unfortunate. And if people call you racist, that's like a pretty bad thing nowadays. I, I find that to actually at least for me, be the opposite. Like I used to think that was like one of the worst things you could call somebody because it's just, it's a detestable thing. Right. And in it's, in it's actuality, like actual racism is, a, is a really gross, evil thing. But now we throw it around all of the time so casually. And I guess I've just seen everybody called it online that now I feel like it's lost its meaning to me. And I'm like, I know I'm not, he knows he's not. And you know, this person without even a profile picture doesn't matter at it at, at all. So yeah, for for me, I think the opposite. I'm like, okay, let's move on with my day. Yeah, I think it depends on- Which is the unfortunate. Circle you run in. So I think I absolutely mm-hmm. agree that racism is losing its power as an insult um, because it's being so overused. But I think there's a lot of uh, systems where it's becoming much more powerful. Um like people are getting fired due to accusations of being racist. And for example, people were using that word to try and get me banned from subreddits, um, and which was nearly effective. Uh, so I think it like it's becoming more polarizing what that word actually is indicating, depending on the kind of sphere that you're running in. Mm. 
It's interesting that they would call they would suggest that you were racist for that poll because I think it's like quite the opposite. Like the way that I interpreted that question is like quite the opposite. Yeah, I know. Right? They they really focused on the part where I was saying that black men cat call more. Um and not the part where I was like, hey, maybe we should question our conceptions of catcalling itself. And like, maybe there is like a racist component to that. Like how much of this is just people being afraid of black men. Um, I am, to be fair, like also really curious about uh, differing like worldviews we hold that like might rub up against each other. And for me, like this one is a really great example of one where there is some sort of like incongruity in, in the way that that people perceive the world. Um, so I personally don't have like a huge stake in the answer. Uh, I mostly was curious about like how people handle the, the, these two ideas, like sort of pushing up against each other. Um, but I don't know. People are very, people are very like strong. I'm learning to be more uh, careful with how I phrase things now because people tend to take them out of context and it's like a war zone. You have to be really careful. I, have you experienced this at all? Like uh, mm-hmm. having brigades on Twitter come after you for like something that you said that they've interpreted the incorrect way? I haven't had like a dog pile effect yet. I don't know what I would do in that situation when it was just multiple attack after attack after attack. Um, I have had the one random person that like is really vindicated and like letting me know how awful I am. Um, And depending on the day, most of the time now, I'm able to completely brush it off because I've tried to really separate myself or my sense of worth from people that I don't even know. But sometimes like today, it just like really got me flustered. And I think it's because I haven't had like enough exposure as of late as of late to it. Um, But yeah, were you familiar with like the August Ames situation when that happened a few years back? Oh, yeah. I I followed it when it happened and I'm a little rusty on the details, but yeah. Yeah. So essentially it was it was because of like dog piling. So she had said something to the effect of. Um, so she wanted to say, like, if someone was performing with trans performers or if they were doing a lot of gay content that it had to be disclosed because it was up to the performer whether or not they would work with those performers based off of their sexual history, um, which I think is totally valid, right? Like you're allowed to say for whatever reason who has sex with you. I like firmly believe that. Um, it is such an like it is such an intimate intimate act that can be so easily violated. And I think it's you're the only one that has that agency to draw your own boundaries. And no one else can tell you right, wrong, or different. Like, it's just, that's your call. And I respect your call. So she had tweeted um, about that because it wasn't disclosed and she had an issue. So she ended up like canceling the scene, I believe. And then like another very big performer kind of went after her and her followers just like dog piled onto her. And it went on like, I want to say for a couple of days. And then she ended up um, committing suicide because of it, because she was just a very sensitive person. and it was a lot. I think it'd be a lot for anyone to really handle that kind of attack because we're so addicted to our phones and it's such a new experience to have an opinion and then tens of thousands of people come at you with like pitchforks. Like that's, we're not really um, designed for that. So there was obviously a devastating consequence. And I think the problem is, is a lot of people don't 
necessarily, or at least initially realize that they're a part of this dog pile or um, attack on someone, like they think they're just one voice, at some point it becomes very obvious what's happening because you can see the threads. But um, trying to get someone like deplatformed or cripple their income or get them fired, like these have real consequences, right? And we're allowed to have different opinions. And you might think it's, you know, wrong because you tweet a poll or put a poll on Reddit, right? But you're going to destroy or attempt to destroy this person's livelihood because of that. That seems a little bit crazy. And someone says they, you know, they don't want to have sex with a particular type of person. And then you go after them in the tens of thousands. That seems a little bit crazy. So I'm like very anti-censorship, but it it's like at some point you have to realize that there still are consequences for words. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you handle that moving forward with technology, right? Like how do you handle speech or dog piles? Is there a line? Um, cause obviously like I'm very pro free speech, right? That's the conversation conversations everyone, everyone's having, but there's certain speech or certain types that I feel like start to get into a dangerous territory. Yeah. I mean, not insulting people is a great first step. If you just have that as a general rule for your life, like no matter how horrific you think this person is, just like don't insult them, attack the ideas rather themselves. Uh, that would go a long way. Then you don't even have to worry that much about becoming a dog pile because like I'm okay with dog piles about ideas. If everybody be like, hey, I disagree with that. Like, okay, sure. I feel like not a lot of people are going to commit suicide over that. Um, the problem is the dog piles tend to be mm-hmm. really directly insulting, like telling you you're a piece of shit and we hate you. Um, it's crazy the psychological effect of dog piles. I've had it happen mm-hmm. to me a few times, and it's unlike anything else. It's a very surreal sensation, and it often makes me like want to find other people who have gone through the same thing because it's like it's like doing a drug, and you're like, holy shit, I, I mm-hmm. feel so alone in this. Um, and I always like I'm never sure how I'm going to react. Like I. I become like much more sensitive to people in my close sphere. So like my friends, I become really sensitive to things that they say, which is not typically the case. Um, And also I find it pretty Mm. compulsive to look at the things that people are saying. And everybody tells me, don't do it. Don't see what they're saying. Don't search your name. Um, But it's such a strong driver to, to not watch people talk about you because it's like a defense thing. It's like, I need to know what they're saying so I can know how to protect myself. Like if somebody's shooting bombs at me, I don't want to just close my eyes. And so it's like this, this, uh, this like riveting force that like works its way into your brain. And then you're like, am I a bad person? Like, did I do something wrong? And then if I didn't, you know, why is the world being so mean to me? Uh, it's really, really tough. And um, I hope, I hope you never have to go through a really bad one of those. I'm glad that what I've gone through hasn't been that bad. And I feel really terrible for. August, it's a that that's it's a really terrible thing to experience, and I'm sorry that it was so so hard for her. Um, I it's I think if we just stop yeah. insulting people, yeah, it's, it's like it's the worst case scenario. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, how what did in the in the times that you've dealt with it, have you learned any way to be like more resilient to it? Like, if this happens to me in the future, do you have any advice? Um, I learned in it. Well, I didn't know. You probably won't have the same reaction as me. Everybody's a bit different. Uh, but if I had to give advice to me in the past, it would be something like, 
be aware that you're going to be more sensitive to people around you and then give them a heads up. So at this point, now my friends know that when I'm going through something like that, I, I don't want, I, they can criticize, if they have criticisms with the way I'm handling it, tell me in like two days. Don't tell me right now. Um, so, so everybody kind of like knows to be really supportive of me, no matter what, just for a little while. Uh, that, that, that took me a while to learn. Um, but also that it's okay. Like, I mean, but I'm sure, you know, I feel like you would handle a dog pile pretty well. Uh, you have the, that vibe about you, but it's going to be okay. Like there's a support network of people. I think so too, but I don't want to be like overly confident. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I don't want to be like overly confident because you never know. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it. Like, there's a lot of energy being thrown at you. So, I guess your interpretation of it can go like a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I could see it me just being like, what the fuck is happening? And just kind of like you laughing, but also being confused, also maybe being a little bit hurt. I feel like I would be very overwhelmed in that situation. But um, I'm very fortunate that I have like a solid support system. And I mean, my husband would probably just take all of my devices for a couple of days and be like, absolutely not. Like you're not going on there. Like let's go on a hike or something. Um, so he's a huge role when it comes to like balancing out Eva and Candace and my social media and maybe like not the healthiest um, interactions that are happening online. Like I handed him the phone with that congressman tweeted me i was like what do i say to this and he's like why do you have to say anything and i was like i don't know but i really want to say something and he just like took my phone and like walked away <laughs> which is good because then i ended up not like engaging with him and giving him more followers and likes and all of that stuff which i'm thinking is what he wanted but sometimes i need someone else with more clarity to make those decisions for me That's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also share this podcast with a friend. It helps my podcast grow and I really appreciate it. I hope to see you next week.